This week's parasha is Parashas Vayikra. And everybody knows that the very first word of the parasha and the very first word of the Sefer, for that matter, has a very strange anomaly in that it has a small aleph. Vayikra, the last letter of Vayikra, that aleph is, smell, is spelled very small. It's called an aleph zeira. And all the Mepharshim want to know why is this aleph so small. The Balaturim gives a very interesting interpretation. He says that Moshe Rabbeinu really when he was writing the Sefer Torah wanted to write it without an aleph altogether. He wanted to write Vayikara Moshe. Why would he want to do that? Because he was very anivistic. He didn't want to write Vayikra, which implies like a formal calling. He wanted it to be like similar to the Russian that we find by Bilam, that it says Vayikara Lekim El Bilam. HaKadosh Baruch had sort of like a, a matter-of-fact relationship with him. And HaKadosh Baruch told him, no, write it Vayikra full with an Aleph. And because of Moshe Rabbeinu's great Anivos, he decided to write it with an aleph, but a small aleph. And so this small aleph really speaks to the anivas, the humility and the humbleness of Meshur Rabbeinu. And we know that Meshur Rabbeinu is humble because the Torah itself says, Ish There was no greater anav in the world than Meshur Rabbeinu. And this is borne out by the small aleph this sort of, this little letter really speaks volumes as to the great humility and the hachna and the anivos that Meshur Rabbeinu had. And it's interesting, you know, I was at a chasna the other night, actually I was at a chasna every night this week, um, but one night this week I had a chasna and I, uh, a big rebbe from the five towns uh, came over to me and told me of art on, on this word, Vayikra, with a small aleph, and he said it b'shem Rav Yitzhak Mivorka, one of the great Hasidic masters. And without getting into the entire art, because I don't want to, you know, take away from the shmuz and the, the stream, but he basically asked that, we see a previous place in the Torah that a Lashna Vayikra is applied to Meshur Rabbeinu without the small aleph. And over here, punk at the beginning of Sefer Vayikra, there is a small aleph, Dafka here. This Anivas of Meshur Rabbeinu, why it, does it have its introduction at the beginning of Sefer Vayikra? And what I wanted to suggest was that the Anivas of Meshur Abenu is Bidafka found when he's called into the Ayal Mayed and stands before Akadish Baruch Hu. Because this is what gives us the ability ourselves to be an Anav. This gives us the tools for those of us that grapple with Gaiva. Gaiva is one of the hardest Midas. If a person is bitten, by the bug called Gaiva, it's a very, very difficult Mida to overcome. And Anivas, 
on the other side of the spectrum is a very difficult midah to attain, especially if you are prone to gaiva. Gaiva is a, is a poisonous midah. No one puts the midah of gaiva into better clarity. To give us a, an illustration of what gaiva is, you have to look at the Mesol Sisharim, and the Mesol Sisharim gives us what gaiva is, and he says also afterwards how we could possibly lower our gaiva. And he says as follows, this is in, in his Nikias, in his parak on Nikias, Parakid Aleph, and he says, he speaks about different Bali Gaiva, and how there's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to Gaiva. Gaiva is something that every person is misguided in a different way. I remember when I was learning Mesos Hisham with Avaran Shefter, we were, I was like to have a Chavrusa shop with him by Musa Seder for two years in Chaim Berlin. And it was very special times. I kept a lot of notes on everything that he said. And so I have, I have an extensive chidushim from him on half of Mesos Hisharim. And I remember when we got up to this particular paragraph, out of character, he started laughing. He started laughing. He was so, like, amused by the various forms that the Ramchal brings to describe different people and the way that their midah of gaiva sort of takes form, that it, it actually brought him to laugh. He says as follows, There are many different types of bali gaiva. He says that... He says the the very often about Gaiva the way he walks, he makes sure to walk in a certain way that his feet don't spread too far. He walks like very pedantically. And when he sits, he sits like in a very like laid back type of position. He never sits normal. And when he gets up from his chair, he doesn't get up like a normal person. He gets up very slowly, like a snake would get up. I don't speak to everybody. I speak to people that are very chasher. VIPs, that's what I speak to. I don't speak to the general public. People that I feel are beneath me, I don't want to talk to. He says, and even when he does talk, he speaks very succinctly, like the Maimar Trophim, Trophim were like the, you know, these, I don't know, some, some sort of Avedizara that were, that they were able to get to speak, and when they spoke, they spoke like just like, you know, like, like one or two word statements. That's how certain people speak. Everything is very pompous. Whatever I do, when I eat, the way I eat, the way I drink, the way I walk, the way I talk, everything is done with, like, fakeness. And just a very haughty, conceited style. Everything is, like, very heavy, and I'm, like, moving around with great gravity. That's one type of Al-Gaiva. That's 
clear. Everybody that sees this, this pompous individual knows immediately what he is, that he's a tremendous egomaniac. And he has so much, you know, he holds himself in such high regard that he considers everybody below him. That's one type of Balgaiva. And then there's another type of Balgaiva, he insists that everybody is afraid of him. You know, he insists that everybody salute him and stand up for him. And then he says another type of Balgaiva. I am so He says that there's a type of gaiva that I feel that I'm so above everything that I don't even need any covered. There are certain types of gaiva that they constantly require everybody to tremble in their boots when they speak to them. And then there's another that plays the honor. That's how much gaiva they have. Even his, his anivus is gaiva. And he makes believe, I don't need anything, but that itself is gaiva. He makes himself out to be a big, you know, a very big honor, but really that itself stems from gaiva. But inside his heart he's saying, as if he's saying, I'm so great. I don't even need any covid. enough. Anyway, we don't have time to go into all of the various types of aligaiva, but there are very many, and they're very significant. And basically, what it means is that there are so many types of aligaiva that we're probably one of them. We could probably consider ourselves in one of these categories of Balgaiva. Either because you're acting like a Balgaiva and you think you're great and everybody needs to give you, you know, accolades every minute, or that you pravanivas, but that itself is Gaiva. And the Mesos Sharm spends a lot of ink in discussing the various types of Balgaiva. Because it's such an important midah that we have to try to conquer, we have to try to break, as difficult as that may be. Now, how do we do this? How are we able, if we know that we have guidance, we feel really, you know, high, how are we able to lower ourselves? Not to get ourselves depressed. It's always very important whenever we speak about gaiva to give a uh, to give a disclaimer and to and to explain that anivas doesn't mean that we feel that we are nothing, that we feel that we are useless, and we feel we are we have no mindless whatsoever. That's not what anivas is. Anivas means that we recognize what we are, who we are, what our potential is, but we at the same time realize that we have a lot more to accomplish. And that the gifts that we're given are not really ours, they're on loan to us by the Rabbani Shalom, and that we have an obligation to always remember and keep ourselves in check and not assume that we are the purpose and we are the cause of our successes in life, but it's all from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what Anivas is in a nutshell. So how do we attain this? 
So the Mesos Yisharim writes, and he brings the Mishnah and Abes of Akaviv and Ma'arawa Leimer, Histakel begimel devarim may not abali de avera. If you constantly focus on three things, you will never come to an avera. And one of them is If we're always able to remember before whom we ultimately answer to, that Hashem is going to be one day in front of us, and we're going to have to answer to Him. That will be a way, if we can always remember that, that will be a way of being able to be Kaibish, our, our Yetzer. And the Ramchal writes, If we could sometimes imagine for ourselves that we're standing in front of the best in Agadol, imagine ourselves right now. We enter into Shamayim. We enter into Elam Ha'emes. And Akarish is there with all of the heavenly hosts around him. We stand before God in the who epitomizes sanctity, purity, greatness, everything. And he's with his entourage of great heavenly angels standing all around him. They're perfect. And here am I, standing in front of all of this greatness. Imagine that. I'm lowly. I'm vacuous. I'm, I'm deficient. My mysem, they reek. They smell. My mysem are terrible. You know the story I, I tell very often from Remendel, um, Remendel Kaplan, the, the, one of the Rosh Hashivas in Philadelphia, a tremendous Adam Gadol, he was a Talmud of Ochanan, and he used to invite people over to his house who on Shabbos, they, they absolutely reeked. They smell, we know what people that, you know, that are homeless smell like. And these were people that he invited, as a big tzaddik, and he invited these people over to his house every single, every single Shabbos. And his daughter once complained to him, and she said, Tati, I love you, and I respect you, and everybody knows you're a tzaddik, but I'll be honest with you, I can't take this minig anymore. I want once in a while to be able to eat my chones at my Shabbos table without feeling like repulsed. So if you don't mind, if you could please stop inviting these people once in a while, that would be a big favor to me. And her father basically said to her, says, I understand what you're saying. He says, but I'll tell you a secret. He says, someday we're going to be Aymed Lufnei Melech Malchia Amlachim. And we're not going to smell too pretty either. It's not like we're, we're not coming in with some beautiful cologne on. We're going to reek. Our abeiris are going to be so smelly on us that HaKadosh could very easily say, I don't want you in my mechitzas because you reek. And we might have one answer to give, and that is where when we lived in this world, we invited people that reeked into our mechitzas, and that's why you should allow us into yours. This is what Rebellious Svei 
whose Rashiva in Philadelphia used to quote, I think very often by his Ni'ila Joshua, this is what this is the mice that he would quote. And this is what the Ramchal is saying. He says, like, imagine we get we go up to Shamayim. In this world, we think we're big machers, and we're tamid hachamim, and we're lamdanim, and we're big tzaddikim, and we're from, and we're this and we're that. But when we go up to Shamayim, and, and that's really, you know, where the rubber hits the road, where you see in the Elam Emes what's true and what's fake. And here we are, says the Ramchal, standing in front of Melach Malchiam Lachim. And with all of his greatness, and all the perfection of the Malachim Milo. And here we're standing before God and we have so little to show for ourselves and so much to be embarrassed about. Imagine that for a second. Hayyarim Reish. The Ramchal says, would we have the audacity at that point to like be, be Baligaiva? See, in this world, we think that we're going to be able to have a real silver tongue in the next world. We think we're able to go up and when we go up to Shemaim, we're going to be able to, you know, get out of it. We always get out of it. Right? We're always, in this lifetime, we're always able to get out of things. You know, if you have a, if you have the ability to talk in the right way and, you know, to act in the right way, you have a little bit of pain, then you could do no wrong. You know, if you had a Rebbe that liked you, whatever you do, you know, you missed davening, you missed this, you missed that, you came late to that, you were chutzpahdik, whatever it was, you, you cheated on a test, you're able to get out of it because, you know, you have that way to slip out of things. So you think, we think, that we're going to go up to Shemaim and we'll be able to get out of it. Yeah, we did a lot of our various, we didn't do our mitzvahs so great, but I'll talk to God. I, I have what to tell him. We're going to go up there, we're going to be so embarrassed that it's not going to be possible. It's not going to be possible to comprehend the bushod as we stand before the Shvartu. We're not going to have that kaiva. We're not going to have that cockiness that we go before him with our, with our head held high and start defending ourselves like we do down here. That's something that we could do down here because this is a world of Shekhar. In the world of MS, it's going to be a different story altogether. He says, Will a person have a Pischen Pat? When you're asked, no, where's your mouth? Where's your Tayyutsim? What happened to your, all, of your, all your smooth talk? Where's all that gaiva that you had in, your, in this lifetime that you, that you lived? You were so bolsterous, though. You always, you were boasting about this and you were proud of that. Where's all that gaiva? Where is it now? What are you going to answer then? If a person really thought about that, sincerely, if we would stop for a minute once in a while and think about it, we don't have time. If, let's say, we would make time for ourselves to actually think about that, how we're going to answer HaKadosh Baruch Hu on that day, that would be the antidote to Gaiva. We wouldn't have that Gaiva because we would recognize that it's not Shayach. It's not possible for me to live with this illusion anymore of Gaiva because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in front of me.
So the Ramchal is basically telling us a very important say that if you want to deflate yourself, if you feel that you're too gaivadik, and you want to deflate the ego a little bit, you want to pop your balloon, what you do is you keep in mind at all times that when I stand the Fraktadish Baruch at that time I'm stripped of all the veneer. Everything, everything goes away. Parach Tifrach. It flies off all the gaiva because it's just not true. That gaiva is something that's down here because it's an ayam asheker. But if you're standing before greatness, where's your gaiva? I think a good muscle would be, let's say, you know, you feel like you're a really great basketball player and you're bragging and, you know, I scored the most of it. You know, when I was in high school, you know, I had 20 points a game on average, 30 points a game, and I was voted, you know, the, the MVP, and I got a big trophy, and I'm great, I'm the greatest basketball player that ever lived, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, I don't know, you know, pick a, a big basketball player, I don't even know any of them today, what's the, what's the famous one, that, like James, King James what, what, LeBron, LeBron, I, I have to keep going getting Slurpees, because uh, it, they, you know, it has LeBron's name on it. LeBron, all of a sudden, LeBron, you know, you know, you with your gaiva, you're the greatest basketball player. Somebody wants to play with you out in the basketball court. Okay, I could take him. You know, okay, you stand, all of a sudden you see LeBron James standing there on the court. Where's your gaiva? You know, all of a sudden you're like, you run back to the dorm room. You're like so scared, you know, of even getting on the same court with him because you realize that it's a joke. You thought that you were the greatest basketball player. You know, no, let's see. Let's see how, how great you are. Parayach tifrach, the whole gaiva, like, it's gone. There's no, it's, it's, it's mufrach me'elav. It's so obvious that it was empty. That all that I was claiming was so empty. And that's, that's the sad truth. The sad truth is that the whole gaiva, it's such a fiction. It's such a fiction in our, in a figment of our imagination that when you stand before real greatness, it shrivels up and it dies. Rebellion Lapian in his Sefer quotes from the Chavetz Chaim that Eishes Chayel that we sing on Friday night, which is Shleiman Melo's composition in the end of Sefer Mishlei. He says it says there Naida Basharim Bala the Shifta that the the husband will be known when he sits amongst the Zikne Aretz. In the gateways it will be known her husband when he sits together with the Zikne Aretz, together with the elders of the world. Very cryptic pasuk. The Chavetz Chaim says, this Eishas Chayel is talking about the Tyro. When we speak about the Eishas Chayel, there's different interpretations who Shlema Melech meant. Either it means the Tyra, some say it means Kipshutai, a woman, but if it means the Taira, which many Mefarsh, many Chazalans say it does, so who's the who's Neidim Bala? Who's the husband of Taira? Husband of Taira is a Tamachacham. Somebody that learns Taira is the Baal of Taira. So the Chavetz Chaim says that in this world, when a person claims to be a Tamachacham and gets credit for being a Tamachacham, so he says, why does he? Why does everybody think he's a Tamachacham? Because he knows a lot of Gemaras. He knows Gemaras. He throws around a lot of Gemaras. And 
The Chavetz Chaim says, where does he know these Gemaras from? Is he a Bucky and Shas? No. He says he knows one Gemara because he, he saw it in a Pnei Yeshua. He knows another Gemara because the Ketzais brought down that Gemara. He knows another Gemara from a Nesivas. But it's not really that he's a Bucky and Shas. He's just like, he knows Gemaras and he's able to throw around a lot of impressive, you know, quotations, Maimari Chazal, Gemaras, Halachas, but not because he's really thoroughly you know, knowledgeable in Tyra, but rather because he just borrows, you know, from a lot of sources. You know, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that itself is very impressive. A person knows Gemaris from Kitzaisen and from Yeshua. To me, that's already a, a tremendous smile. But the Chavetz Chaim, you know, he says people that are acknowledged, I mean, oftentimes, they're not really as knowledgeable as people, as they lead people to believe. When will we know really who's a real Talmud Chacham and who's not a real Talmud Chacham? When he dies and he goes into Shemaim and they give him a, you know, they, they start really, you know, he's sitting amongst real Talmud Chachamim and they're testing him and they're talking and learning with him and they see that he doesn't really know much. That's when it's going to be really, you're going to know who's who. Who's the, that'll separate the men from the boys. A lot of times we go through life with notions that, you know, people all say, I'm a Chacham, people say that I'm very good in this, and I'm very good, and we know, or we should know the truth, that it's not really so. That as great as people think I am, I'm really not that great. But in this world, we're given the liberty, very often, of deluding ourselves and deluding others into believing things that are really not true. And we have to be very careful about that. We have to know, we have to have a real understanding of who we are and not go overboard. Even if people are, oh yeah, he's a big Tamachacham. How often do you know, oh yeah, he's a big Bucky and he knows this, he knows that, and he's a real, he's a Paisik and he's a Rav and he's a, he's a Tzadik, he's a, and we let these things go as if they're normal. But we have to understand that it's, in the Ayelam Amis, we're going to shrink to like, that small owl is going to look huge to us in the Ayelam Amis. Because we're going to be so small in comparison to HaKadosh Baruch, in comparison to, to really what, what true greatness is, that the Gaiva will immediately dissipate. Immediately. <laughs> you know, Rapam was a, was a very big honor. And I think about this a lot, because Rapam would be very upset every time like he would come into a room and people would stand up for him. Because he felt like he wasn't a Tamil Chacham, he felt like he wasn't, and Rapam really, really was a Tamil Chacham, but he felt that, you know, that he's fooling people, and people are like standing up for him, Kilu, he's a Tamil Chacham, and he didn't feel that he really was. He didn't feel that he was worthy of, of people at all standing up for him. And then he saw, I don't know, I, I forgot who it was, I, I forgot, he quotes a certain a certain Sefer Halacha that basically says that if people stand up for you thinking that you're a Tamachacham, even if you're not a Tamachacham, but they, the reason why they stood up was because they honestly felt that you were a Tamachacham, then they get the mitzvah of Adar Tepnei Zokin. That mitzvah of standing up for a Tamachacham is theirs. Even though it, was a, it wasn't really somebody that you should be standing up for. 
Even if he wasn't a Tamil, people think that he's a Rav, he's a Tamil, and you stand up for him, even if you didn't have to stand up for him, you get the mitzvah of standing up. Once a saw that, he felt a lot better. He said, at least I'll be Mizaka people in the mitzvah, even if I don't deserve it. But Rapam was very true. He didn't let it get to his head. You know, he was a big Rosh Hashiva, he's a big tzaddik, he founded Shuvu, like his chusim are medis lahad. But yet he didn't permit himself to get into that mindset that, oh, I'm great, I'm awesome, everybody has to stand up for me, everybody has to bow down to me. Because Rapam was a true person, he was an ish emis. And he always kept in mind how really, you know, the world is very easy to deceive in this world. In this world, it's so easy to fool people. People are so, you know, gullible. And if they see you learning a little bit extra in the base medrash on, during Ben Azmanim, or they see you, you know, putting a quarter in the pushka, right away people are, you know, they're writing biographies about us already. But in the next world, it's going to be so clear to discern what the truth is, that we have to see that already in this world. And we have to understand that as great as people might think we are, don't let it get to your head. Feel good about your accomplishments that you know are good and true. But don't allow like this myth to be created about you in your own mind, about how superior you are to others. Because as great as you may be, maybe even relative to your friends, you're great, but it's a big world out there. And even if within your little pond, you're, you know, you're the top fish, you're the big fish. But if you go to, you know, if you go to Panovich and you sit there for a little bit, or you go to Lakewood, you sit there and you see people that are mamish sitting and learning, you know, many, many years, you feel like, you know, I'm nothing. I'm mamish nothing. I'm mamish after the arrow. And that's how Ramchal tells us to deal with gaiva. Yeah, you could be gaiva. You could choose to be egotistical. You could choose to think you're the greatest. Or you could be reality-based and realize that everything is relative. Maybe in your little circle you're great, but you stand before real greatness. And you stand before the rabbi and you're going to shrivel. You're not going to even be anything. You're going to feel so small and so insignificant that your gaiva is going to be gone. And I believe that that is what Meshach Rabbeinu is teaching us in this week's parsha. That Yikra Meshach Rabbeinu, finally the Mishkan is put up, HaKadosh Baruch calls Meshach Rabbeinu in. And in Meshach Rabbeinu is standing Mamish in front of the Shechina in the Mishkan, in the Ayal Mayed, by Yikra, with a small hour. The main way to attain Anivas is by being cognizant that I'm standing before HaKadosh Baruch When you enter into a Mishkan, when you enter before the Shechina, and you're standing before God, it's not possible for you to have any fantasies anymore of Gaiva. That all evaporates. That's when you don't surround yourself with godly, great people, and with God himself. But when you're standing before the Rabbi Nishlam, all of that just, it vanishes. Your Gaiva is no longer... The small Aleph teaches us HaKadosh Baruch Hu is here. HaKadosh Baruch Hu stands before us. And Meshach Rabbeinu is saying, I'm writing with a small Aleph for each and every one of us to know that if you want to be able to really attain Anivas like I, 
you have to be standing in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence and remember that you're standing in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence. And when you do that, that's the one way, that's the poison pill against Ivan. But Yikra Al-Maisha, you're standing before HaKadosh Baruch Hu with the Melech Malchai Amlochim and you imagine how you're going to stand before HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lasid Lavai and like the Ramchal says, you're going to miyad parayach tifrach, your gaiva is going to fly away. So allow your gaiva to fly away now when you understand how you're standing before the Rebbeinu When your person is in the presence of greatness, you change. I'll never forget, I went to the Levaya of Rebzelig Epstein. Rebzelig Epstein was the great Rosh Hashiva in Sharatayra in, in Kew Gardens. And he was mamish like on the, the top tier of daily Israel in America. So much so that Rav Shach wanted him to take over like the Aguda and the Mayetzes and whatever and he, he didn't want anything to do with it. He didn't want, he ran away from politics, he didn't want anything to do with any, you know, he wanted, he was a tremendous honor. But he was a tremendous pikeach and I remember by the Levaya, one of the Maspidim, I don't remember all the Maspidim, but there was one line of one of the Maspidim that I'll never forget. He said that a lot of times he would come to the Rashiva for, for an Eitzah. He was a tremendous Pikeach. He was a great Baletzah. And if you had a problem, you know, and you didn't know what to do, should I do this or should I do that? So you go to Rebzalag and he would, you know, you speak out the problem and he would tell you what to do. He was not much there But there was one thing that he said that was amazing. He said that a lot of times I had stakas. I wasn't sure what to do. And I came before Abzalag, and I didn't even have to tell him the problem. I didn't even have to tell him the Shiloh. This, the mere fact that I was sitting in front of Abzalag clarified everything. Sometimes when you're just merely in the presence of greatness, if you're in the presence of somebody that's really great, that itself is the answer to your problems. And that's how Gaiva is. Gaiva is when you are in your own little world, you could delude yourself and you could, you know, sort of constantly lie to yourself that you're something that you're not. But when you stand in front of greatness, if you are among people greater than you in learning, greater than you in, in anything. And I'll just come and become a greater if you're standing in front of the Rebbeinu which is a harder thing to recognize, obviously. It's difficult to always be cognizant that you're in front of the Rebbeinu which we always are. But when you're in the presence of greatness, greatness has a, ten- has a tendency to sort of do away with a lot of issues. A lot of the issues that we had before we walked before greatness, before we stand before greatness, once we're in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's gone. The problems are gone. And that's what Bayikra al Mesha is all about. The ability for a Yid to come before the Rabbani Shalom and to constantly imagine himself as standing before the Kisya HaKavid. In Los Naivlus Nim, where it counts, that's something that's life-altering. That's something that will change our life if we're able to understand that. And there's a Medrash in Bereshus Rabbah that speaks about how the Romans, when they came to destroy the Beis HaMikdash, they were a little afraid to go into the, the Makam HaMikdash. They were afraid. They knew that it's a holy place. 
They didn't dare tread there casually, at least at first. So what they did was they sent like sort of a, um, uh, a trial balloon into the Makla Mikdash to, to see what happens to them. So there was a person that was not a, a from person at all, and he was, uh, you know, quite the opposite. I think he was a mummer. His name was Yosef Meshisa. Yosef Meshisa, he was like a bandit of some sort. And he, the Romans said, hey, Yosef, come here. We, we'll give you, you know, we know that you like money a lot, and you, you know, you're not so from. So you're going to go into the Beis HaMikdash. You can take your shopping cart with you, and you get to take one thing out of the Beis HaMikdash. You want to just see, you know, what happens to you if you do that. So Yosef Meshisa comes in, and... He took out what I would take out. He took, what did he put in his shopping cart? He put in the menorah. Menorah, you know, it's a really nice, you can use it on Hanukkah. And, you know, it's big, it's gold, it's heavy. It's a nice, you know, it's a nice gift piece. Like it's a, you know, something chashev, you know. I mean, the arm is probably too big, scary to go into the Kaddish HaKadoshim. But he took the menorah. So he comes out of the Beis HaMikdash with a menorah in his cart. And, you know, he's happy as a lark. He just, like, he walks past the Romans like he's taking this menorah home. And the Romans say, no, no, no. You can't take the menorah. You can't take the menorah. Why can't I take the menorah? The menorah is not for commoners. Yeah, the menorah is something, Avi, everyone saw. The menorah was special. I just came from Eretz Yisrael. You know, you walk up the steps to get to the rover. They have that, you know, that re- reenactment of the menorah there. It's, a, it's chashev. It's very royal. It's regal. That's not for a commoner. You can't take that and put that in your living room. You take something else. Go back in and take something else. He says, I can't go back in. He said, I'm not going back in again. So they said, why not? So he says, he says, I already angered God once. He said, I'm going to go and anger him a second time by going back in. They said, yes, yeah. what happened to you? And they started hitting him. They started torturing him. And he said, all he kept saying until he died was, woe is to me that I angered my creator. And the Panavichurav asks, like, what happened with Yesu Meshiz? Yesu Meshiz was a bandit. He was able, the first time around, to go in without any busha. He walked right in to the Kedisha, to, to the, to the Makla Mikdash, to the Azara, and he took out the Menaira, and all of a sudden now he became from, and he was willing to be tortured to death. What happened? And the Panavich Rav says that that's the Kayak of the Makamah Mikdash. That when a person comes into the Makamah Mikdash, he's a changed person. You can't walk into the Makamah Mikdash and not do tshuva. Because you're standing in the presence of such greatness. The Shechina is there. The Kedusha is palpable. You can't walk out of there unchanged. You can't. You have to be changed. And that's what Meshach Rabbeinu is telling us. Meshach Rabbeinu says, look, now you're entering, you're entering by Yikra Meshach, you're entering Sefer by Yikra. Sefer by Yikra is a world of Kedusha. It's a world of Tyra. In fact, the Minig always was, and it may still be in certain areas, that children, little children, little Jewish children, the first thing that they were taught in Yeshivas was Sefer by Yikra. And it's a strange thing to teach a child you know, if I was making a cu- curriculum, I would say, you know, teach them about Parshas Nayak. Everybody likes Nayak with a table with the animal sticking their head out of the table 
and you know you can get into certain parashas and Barashas and, and maybe Kairachas, a lot of fun parashas. I don't think that anyone would vote Seva Vayikra as the, as the most interesting of all the Svarim and the Chumash. Quite the opposite. And yet this is what we want to teach children. This is the first thing that a child has to know is about an Ayla and a Chattas and an Asham and a Shlam and a Karben and Dam and, and Malika. Is this really what children, this is what's going to be fascinating to a child? And Chazal say, Yavai Tahirim. Let the Tahirim come, the Yasko, then Yane Tara. Let them be Isaac and Tara. We're entering a world of Tara. And when you enter a world of Tara, when you enter the world of Seva Vayikra, the world of Kachim, it's supposed to inspire not only feelings of Kedusha, but feelings of awe, feelings of reverence, feelings of how low am I as I stand before the Melech Malcham Lachim. Who am I compared to the Rabbi Compared to my friends, maybe I'm better. Maybe I score better on tests. Maybe I'm better at them in ball. Maybe I'm a bigger massman, a bigger lamdan. But I'm in the world of the Beis Hamikdash. I'm in the world of the Mishkan, of Kedusha, of Tara. Where do I stand? Where do I rank there? And that's why Seder Yikra begins with a small Aleph. Because when you enter into the Lufnai Lufnim of the Tyra, which is what Vayikra is, then you have to imagine that you're standing in the Beis HaMikdash. You're standing in the Mishkan. When you stand there, things have to be different. Things have to be changed. You have to see yourself as not being as haughty as you thought you were, but being more reasonable with who you are. And that's the small Aleph. Meshach Rabbeinu said to us, when he wrote the Aleph, he wasn't doing it for himself. He knew that he was an honor. He was doing it to teach all of us that now you're entering into the world of Kedusha and you have to recognize that you have a long way between you and the Rabbi Nishlam. I remember that there was a, a great guy, and I don't remember who it was, but it just popped into my head that there was a somebody that was giving Musr to a great guy. A big baldarshan, and he was giving me, he was asked to give musr to a big tzaddik, a big guy, and he said, I can't give you musr. He says, because you're so great. You're so great, who am I to give you musr? He says, no, I insist that you should give me musr. So he says, the only musr that I could tell you is that as great as you are relative to me, but there's a vast difference between, meaning that difference between your greatness and my greatness is not a drop in the bucket between the greatness of the Rebbein Shalom and your greatness. And that's a real blow to the ego. When you realize that there's a Rebbein Shalom in the world that's really perfect, standing in front of him, it's impossible, but not to be awoken to the realities of who we really are. You know, the Rambam writes in the second parak of Yisai De Atayra, in Halacha Beis, about thinking about the Rabbi Nishayalim and about his creations. When a person thinks about these things, when you think about the greatness of God, you recoil backwards. When you 
how small I am, how puny my mind is. There's one application that I want to make on this shmuz. There could be a lot of them, but the one thing that I want to speak about is the inyanim of tefillah, because tefillahs are connected karbonis tiknum. And even if we come into a regular room on a regular day and we have a certain gaiva, when we stand lefnei the melech in tefillah and shmene esrei, if there's one time really to work on this small aleph in our life, it's when we come into a shul, when we come into a yeshiva, to a base medrash. And there are two ways that people come into a shul. Some people come into shul and they come to daven. They come to machnia themselves. They come to stand in front of HaKadosh with the awe and the reverence that's required. There's no shul in the world that doesn't have somewhere a Dalaf name made plaque or on top of the Oren. As a reminder, you're standing before God. You're standing in a shul before HaKadosh Baruch But then many of us come into shul and it's more of a, it's more of a social outlet for us. You know, we feel very comfortable and we walk in and we're, our davening is not a davening. Our davening is basically a hechatimsa to schmooze with our neighbors, to talk to the guys in the back of, in the back of the base matters sometimes. Davening is a time that we're mamish aimed with Na'amelech. It's a time like Meshra Abeno, like Yosef Meshisa, you're coming, you're coming in, you're standing in front of the Rabbi Nishalom. And when we're davening, we have to be machnia ourselves. We have to lower ourselves. We have to break the gaiva as we stand before the Rabbi And there are many campaigns that I see now that are very popular. And they're very important. They're vital. That when you come to shul, when you come into a base manager, you have to make sure not to talk. It really bothers me a lot. And sometimes I... You know, I, I, I motion to people. It bothers me a lot when I see Bachrim in Yeshiva. And Baruch Hashem, on the whole, I think we have a very beautiful davening here, both during the weekend on Shabbos. But there are people, and, you know, and, I, and I'm told about this by people that are very often standing in the back of the Mishmetosh, that there's a lot of talking. Not a lot, but, but you see it Friday night a lot. Groups are standing in the back, and it's understandable because a lot of guys haven't seen each other a whole week, especially people that only davenir on Shabbos. And the natural tendency is, you know, you walk over and you schmooze, and, you know, after Shemin Esrei, Friday night, and you should know in Halacha, by the way, it's a very, if there's one time you shouldn't schmooze in Shul especially, it's after Shemin Esrei, Friday night, by Vayichulu and by, uh, by Magin Abbas. It's brought, uh, the Mishnabura brings down from Svar Makadashim that, that there was a person in Shamayim with like a, a huge, like, um, I don't know, his panim were Marikas. He had like a, a green complexion and he had like sort like, like blemishes all over him, his face. And they asked him, why did this happen? 
And he said, because I spoke during that part of Davin. Friday night I spoke, out, you know, by Vayichulu, by, by Maginobis. Speaking then is a very dangerous time to speak. But that's the time that you see a lot of people congregating and, and talking. There has to be an understanding that when you come with Nehemiah, we're always with Nehemiah, but when we're standing in Davinim, when we're standing in Shul, there has to be, there has to be a, a feeling that I can't have my Gaiva enter here. I can't stop people. After davening, I could talk to people out in the hall. But when I'm davening, when I'm davening, it's so vital to be quiet and to be composed and to, and to not talk. And when we do talk, it's a tremendous chil Hashem. And it brings down not only your own sense of awe and kedusha for the Rabbi Hashem, but it creates an atmosphere in the whole base medrash of, of a callous in this regard. And it stems very often from gaiva. It stems from gaiva. People come in and, you know, I own the place and I'm talking to whoever I want. I'm running for mayor here. I'm slapping everybody on the back. You're standing in front of the melech. There's achna. You have to machnir yourself. It's a very important thing to keep this in mind. As we enter Sefer Vayikra, we have to enter the world of Tyra with a feeling of Tyra. We have to constantly remember that when we understand that we're living in a world of Tara, and that we're before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we're bringing Karbanas to Rebbe Nishayim, it requires a, a feeling of, of respect and, and of solemnness and of anivos. And Gaiva is a huge problem, but the way to solve Gaiva is to remember that we're not really as great as we think we are. And when we come to places of greatness, that's supposed to humble us. That's supposed to make us recoil backwards and recognize how small we are. And amidst Hashem, it should be a great save of Ayikra. It should be a, this period that we're going into now from Ayikra until Bamidbar. We have the Am Taivim, we have Pesach, and we'll have Shavuos. We'll have the end of the Zman. It'll, it'll take us through a lot of time. <coughs> And it's a time that we could really be mitara ourselves if we work hard and understand the karbanis and understand that we are ourselves able to bring karbanis every single day to the Hashem with our davening, with our tefillah, and how we should be zeicha to at least the shasa tefillah when we're davening, we're in the base medrash by davening to lower our gaiva, to recognize that we are standing before the king. And amidst Hashem, that recognition will make ourselves throughout our whole life, not just by davening, able to greatly tame the gaiva within. Have a good chance.